This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you been thinking about maybe having your own podcast? Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple and many more. With Anchor, you can start to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership as well. It's truly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Holla Back. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. Bevy Smith is a quintessential Harlem girl and a lifelong New Yorker. Once a wildly successful luxury fashion publishing executive, Bevy shifted her professional goals over a decade ago to pursue a life in front of the camera. She is a pop culture aficionado and fashion expert. She served as moderator of Bravo TV's Revolutionary Fashion Queens, and she was a former co-host on the nationally syndicated Page Six TV. But most importantly, Bevy Smith is the host of Sirius XM's Bevelations on Radio Andy and now an author. Her debut book, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie, and Bestie, details her transition from a fashion advertising executive into a media personality and a whole lot more. Bevy Smith, I am so excited to have you. Welcome. You're in my heart. Oh my gosh, you, well, you've been in my heart forever and a day, so I'm so happy to be here with you and to have a proper catch up. Isn't that true? I mean, how did life get so busy that I don't even, well, they got us quarantined. That's true. Right. But really to take it way back, you and me, 
Like one of the things I remember the most about you is we, I call this like bump sisters. We bumped into each other everywhere. Do you remember that about yes, us? Of course. Of course. No, it was, it was a time before you had children. It was a time when I was still an advertising executive and we were, you know, high flying, fabulous, you know, execs. And we were like all, always all over the place. We had expense accounts. We had great wardrobes. We had a lot of access. It was a really heady time. It was a heady time. And let me tell you, you're one of my favorite parts of it. Like when I look back to you and Emil and Hampton, you know, yes. and Bill Thompson, those lovers in the group that you, without even knowing each other, you just connect, you just magnify together in some way. Let's just get into your background as a luxury fashion publishing executive to your life in media. I know you were always intrigued by pop culture, but can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I'm a native New Yorker, as you mentioned. And so I grew up literally reading everything, consuming everything, but even more than just reading about things. When you're a New Yorker, and I, I was born and raised in Manhattan, but more specifically Harlem. And so that means that for me, I literally took a train two stops. And then I was in the heart of the epicenter of the entertainment world, of the finance world, of the publishing world. And so that means that you grow up with a certain um, kind of certain knowledge about um, pop culture and also about the world. You know what I mean? It's a very kind of um, a global childhood, if you will. You know, and that's one of the things I go into in the book that my parents even though we were in Harlem, which was an all-Black enclave, which was a fabulous place to grow up in the 1970s, post-civil rights. And, you know, you have, you know, the, the Black power movement and all of that. Wonderful place to grow up. But then on top of that, my parents made sure they took us out of the hood. And so that we understood that all of this, all of New York was our oyster and we could have added if we wanted it. Absolutely. I love that. I mean, I, that's one of the things that I always thought about when I thought about a family or having children. As someone who grew up only two hours from New York City, it was a two hour you know, train ride, but only a few stops. And in two hours, you went from literally a country mouse to a city mouse. And my mom being born in Brooklyn, we would visit New York and I'd get that feeling. And I always wanted my children to have a New York experience. I wanted to raise New York kids because yes. like you say, it's, it's a bubble of wonderment of life and all different sorts and types and feelings and expressions of life. And I love that. And that's, you actually epitomize expression of life. You really do. And that was one of the things, like, of course you remember us being bump sisters, but the best part about it was the happiness that came out of it. We were always so joyful to see each other, joyful to be on the circuit, joyful to be doing what we were doing. But there came a time in your life where you woke up in all that fabulousness and you woke up with the expense accounts and all the designer goods in Milan, I think, if I remember correctly. And Bevy wasn't so happy. No, I wasn't so happy in the book. Um, you know, I really talk about how at the age of 33, having just landed in Milan for yet another fashion week. And I, and you know, I don't mean to sound kind of jaded when I say that, but once you've done something, no matter how amazing it is, it becomes old hat after a while. And so, you know, at this point, it felt like it may have been my one millionth Milan fashion week. 
Um, you know, it, you're away from your family a lot. Um, you know, um, and, and also not for nothing as a black person, um, at that point, you were really the only one, um, you know, except for the folks that you traveled with, you know, my, my partner in crime, Emil Wilbekin, who, um, started out as a fashion director and then who went on to become the editor in chief of Vibe. You know, of course I had him, but we were oftentimes the only black people in rooms, in restaurants, in dinners, certainly on the front rows of fashion shows oftentimes. So it was really quite an isolating experience. And also, I knew there was something more that I wanted. I knew that there was something more, but honestly, Heather, I had no idea what it was. All I knew is that I was very dissatisfied with my life as it was. Even though it was a dream for someone, it had become a nightmare for me. Yeah, that is very true. I mean, sometimes your dream job when you've been doing it a long time. And by the way, you know, aside from the great accounts and the travel schedules, we busted ass. Yes. I mean, we work hard. The fashion industry waits for no man. You know, that clock tick, tick, ticks, and you got to keep it moving. It was a grind. It becomes a grind. It became a grind. It really did. And, um, and then I just realized I didn't want to do it anymore, but I absolutely had no idea what I wanted to do. And so in the book, I describe, you know, being incredibly emotional, crying on my frette sheets, um, in my corner suite of, uh, you know, the, 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 the original luxury hotel of Milan, the, uh, you know, uh, the Princip- the Principe, um, and um, just feeling very, very morose. And um, I was like, I have to change my life. And the first step I did towards changing my life was by changing my name. Because Heather, you probably don't even remember this, but when we initially met, I was Beverly. After that Milan trip, I decided, well, what can I do to start? And that's something that I want people to understand about the book and the journey. It's like, you just have to start somewhere. And I saw this somewhere that I could actually control. I could control what people called me. I wanted to get out of that Beverly fashion executive from Vibe kind of um, uh, label that I had, because at that point it had become a crux. It had become something very heavy for me. And I knew I didn't want to be that for much longer. So I said, I got to start rebranding myself. And the rebrand began with Bevy, Bevy Smith. A hundred percent. I remember that clearly that transition, because I remember we were like joking, like when Puffy changed his name, like, oh, he's following Bevy. <laughs> but it was so funny because Puff, I had known him. Now I've known Puff since he was like 19 years yes. old. So I know he has changed his name literally like 10 times or something insane. And so actually in the book, I say that, you know, I took a note from Puffy because, you know, um, he, I mean, I think probably originally when I met him, he might've been Puffy. Yes. And he became Puff Daddy. Now he's Mr. Combs. Now he's certainly Mr. Combs. <laughs> um, you know, so... There's all these different iterations, but that was very inspiring to me. And by the way, Puff is also a Scorpio, just like me. So we're very driven people. Yes, you guys are both Scorpios and you are both very driven and you both have uh, wonderful multiple names. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, it wasn't really that easy. And, you know, after you sat in that Milan hotel room, you actually stayed, didn't you go to Rolling Stone after that though? You know, I didn't just, uh, become dissatisfied with my job and with my life and then chuck it all. No, it took five years. The Milan hotel room meltdown happened at the age of 33. I didn't quit 
my job at Rolling Stone magazine until I was 38. And that's when I decided to really go full throttle and to pursue my dreams and to follow my passion. And so I think that's something really important to note because I believe that there's so many people out there that talk about how you can change your life and you can follow your dreams and, and you know, pursue your passions, but they don't tell you the struggle of it all. And I think oftentimes they leave out so many pertinent parts like, okay, you've got a great job. You're making a lot of money. You're well-respected in your industry. Why would you just get up and quit one day and like throw that all away? No, you have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy. And so, you know, for me, I had to even just figure out what the heck I wanted to do. Like, Heather, I literally didn't know I wanted to do TV. Right. I literally didn't know I wanted to be a writer. You know, I didn't know any of those things. And then after years of soul searching and after years of understanding that staying at Vibe was um, really going to become an albatross for me mm-hmm. because I literally was so happy and comfortable within the company. You know, the corporate mindset really worked with mine. It was the first time in my career that I'd ever worked in a place where it was majority Black people. And it was the first time I'd ever worked in a place where um, it was a, a, a family of Black folks. And um, and it was really, really quite remarkable. So I didn't want to leave that. No. I didn't want to leave that. That wasn't easy to decide. No. And I tried not to leave it for the longest time. And then, uh, you know, I got an offer from Rolling Stone and I thought the vibe would counter it. And instead they said, well, you know what, Bevy, we cannot counter that offer. Um, that is far too much money for us to match. So you take care of yourself and good luck at Rolling Stone. And I had to hit the road. <laughs> exactly. You got kicked out of the cradle. Yeah, and, I got kicked out of the cradle. And everything happens for a reason, you know? I mean, it really does. And I, I appreciate that you say that because, no, people don't talk about the fact that change is painful. Yes. Recognizing yourself and what your dreams, and by the way, realizing that your dreams today, maybe not your dreams for tomorrow. Come on now, Heather, talk about it. See, this is grown woman talk. You understand exactly what I went through because that is so valid. You know what I mean? Because right now I've actually achieved a lot of what I quit my job at Rolling Stone and at Vibe to do. But guess what? When you read the book, you see I've got other dreams out on the horizon that I'm already working towards. So yeah. The dreams continue to morph. Why should we um why should we embrace the status quo? Why should we rest on our laurels? No, it's time to get up, to move, and to follow your real pursuits. And those are um th- those are apt to change. Yeah, that is really like kind of the mantra of today, you know, this century for all of us to start realizing that you don't have to do the same thing for the rest of your life. Some of these super ego type of things that have been, you know, just really piled on us all over life. You can kind of break out of that and say, Hey, that's not true. I don't have to do that. I can do me. And, you know, I, I want to talk to you about this because obviously it's in your book. And I mean, we had a lot of fun party times together and we were always party girls, but I want to talk a little bit because I feel like we can save the younger, you know, the people behind us, you know what I mean? The ones that are to come, from some of the choices we made and some of the struggles that we actually kind of like put on ourselves by not being true to ourselves. But firstly, because we weren't told, we didn't have a whole lot of self-help, but we don't, we didn't have what youth, the youth has today in front of them. But still, I think that there are habits that can trip you up into the same mistakes. And when you feel unhappy or you feel that you're not fulfilled, I think that 
especially as women, we've been told to bury that. You know what I mean? You got to bury that. You got to put your head down. You got to do the work. I mean, especially as a black woman, I'm sure I know a lot about your experience at Vibe and, and that culture and how important and meaningful and needed it was, generally speaking. But there was a time when you tried to kind of like cover up for your heart, really. And you did it through like sex, drugs and rock and roll, so to speak. But it was, (laughs) you know, and shopping. Yes. I want you to talk a little bit about like, what would you tell little Bevy if you knew now what you know, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and to try to avoid, we all have to fall. We have to have struggle. We have to have pain. We have to make mistakes. It's only a mistake if you make it twice. Well, you know, I call that, um, you know, fucks and fumbles. And that's really, you know, that really kind of dominated my twenties and a bit of my thirties too, the fucks and the fumbles of it all. Um, But what I would tell little Brown Bevy is that, you know, um, who you are, the little brown bevy person is the most important person that you'll ever be. Who that is, is me at my core. And at my core, I'm um, empathetic. I'm a curious, adventurous person. I, I, I have a real passion for helping people. Um, I have a very soft heart. Those are all the, the, the kind of brand tenets of little brown bevy. And those, a lot of those parts, I kind of shrouded, you know, especially when I was really pursuing my hip hop hottie era, Lou Brown Bevy very rarely showed up. I think in the book I talk about, she showed up only when I like really kind of hung out with Tupac because Pac was also shrouding a very sensitive um, and kind and gentle soul. You know, he was a poet, you know, you didn't really see that. You saw the I get around guy, you know, you know, he, you saw the guy that was in a, you know, a battle to the death with Biggie and with Puff. You know, you didn't see the sensitive side of him as much. And I know for myself in that era, the same thing. I was so consumed with my success on the party scene and then also my success as a business person. But what's interesting about that, Heather, is that I actually, I think I took even greater pains to hide my, uh, my corporate self from my party self. Because as I say in the book, that girl, you know, the corporate smart girl had no real, real place in the party. Like, what is she doing at the red zone or at the tunnel? What is she doing hanging out with rappers, drinking champagne and going on trips and going to boxing matches in Vegas? Like, that doesn't really mesh. So she had no real value. So they didn't even know I had a corporate job. And it was only until I got the Vibe magazine where corporate bevy and uptown hip-hop hottie bevy met. And that's when I met you and you were already popping off. And I know now that there were two really inspirational books to you. And one of them has been very inspirational to me. And I can't wait to hear your version of it and what, how it changed your life. But there are two. And these inspirations really drove you to be your true authentic self, to not only see Little Brown Bevy merge and Vibe Uptown Bevy merge, but like actually them truly become that person and that individual. And the two books were The Four Agreements and the other one, which I haven't read, which I'm going to now is The Artist Way. Tell me how, what you learned from these books and how did you apply them to your everyday life? And what are the cliff notes? Well, The Artist Way for me gave me permission to be an artist. So remember, I was on the business side of publishing. So I later went on to become a fashion editor at large. 
But when we met, I was on the business side of publishing. And that is something that I was very comfortable doing. But what I was um, uncomfortable and unsure about was that I was a creative. And so I had to give myself permission to even seek out the artistic Bevy Smith. And when I did that, I realized that every approach that I had taken in business was rooted in art. And that's why I knew that um, when I started reading the artist way, I recognized myself. And then there was this other thing that really kind of ignited in my life um, was the, um, the uh, artist date. So in the artist way, you go and you do these dates by yourself. So I would go and see, you know, one woman shows. Um, I would go to a museum. And that really released a lot of that kind of business edge off of me. So that's what the artist way did for me. And the four agreements, you know, uh, always being impeccable with your word, be impeccable with your word about other people, but even more importantly, be impeccable with your word about yourself. We, we um, live in a world where, especially women, tend to um, lean on the self-deprecating. You know, you'll say things about yourself. You know, our business of fashion is actually built on making women feel less than great most of the time, right? And so when you're impeccable with your word, then you stop believing those things and you certainly stop saying those things to yourself. The four agreements did so much for me. Always do your best. That's been a really, really powerful thing. And that's really a powerful thing for anyone who has been an overachiever in their life. So in the book, I talk about, you know, right before um, the city closed down, I had an acting audition and it was a cold, rainy day. And um, I went to this audition. I was nervous anyway, because, you know, at that point, everyone knew that COVID was um, a virus and there was airborne. I didn't want to cancel because I didn't know if I wanted to cancel because I was scared to audition or if I was scared about the virus. So I pushed through and I went and I did it. And, you know, I think that I did okay, but I also know that I probably would have been better if I had felt 100%. But what I do know for sure is I did my absolute best on that day. I put my all in all into it, but my all in all that particular day wasn't my 100% that I could give on a day like today. So, you know, it's all about do your best. So yeah, those are like two of the lessons for me from four agreements that I really tapped into. Yeah, I love those. I mean, we do have to uh, have compassion and empathy for ourselves, you know, especially as perfectionists, you know, it's like that blessing and a curse. And, you know, I, one of the things that I'm working on with myself that I, and I, I love the four agreements and I also Um, lob on to those two. And you guys who are listening, go get it, read it, because it's really an important read. Um, But we are kind of set up to become bitter. You know what I mean? We really, I don't know what it is, but one of the things I I like about this time of reflection is what I call it. Um, Always trying to put the positive spin on it. But really is that, is it's like, how do we move forward tomorrow now knowing all the things we know about yesterday and really all of them. I call this the Windex error. I've said it before because everything is clear. Yes, We can see our neighbors. We can see our issues. We can see the history that hasn't been told. We can see the struggle. We can see the differences in belief and opinions, and we can see the anger more than anything. Yeah. And, you know, that all comes from hurt. Yeah. And one of the things that you're talking about subtly but I just want to bring to the point is, is that we talk about our, our true selves and our souls and who we really are as people. And that forms very early in life. 
most of the time we spend growing as adults is we, we make choices protecting that little brown bevy. We think we're protecting that little brown bevy. But actually, as you know, because you're a mother, children are far more resilient than probably even adults. They know how to turn on the dime. You know what I mean? They know how to pivot. You know, children are very adaptable. I had to make a decision to stop shrouding and hiding little brown bevy and letting her come out because she was actually, she's the queen bee of it all. Beverly Smith, fashion executive, might be, you know, fabulous and all these things. And Big Beth from Uptown might be able to get her point across. But the strongest one out of them all is who I am at my core. So to Bevy's point, if you kind of go through life expecting that there's going to be challenges versus expecting that there's going to be rainbows, you really appreciate more the rainbows. So I, I try to flip the perspective. I do think of myself as an optimist. I, I really do. And I, and for me, because I've been so blessed, abundantly blessed in my life, you know, I'm 54 years old. And, you know, for 53 years, I had both of my parents. And in the book, I talk about, you know, because my parents were so much older when I was born. And so I had a phobia of them dying. I used to pray to God to let them um, stay alive, at least until I was 18 years old. Well, guess what? I had both my parents until I was 53. My daddy just died in April, Gus Lee Smith. He died in April. He died of COVID. Um, and, but my mom is still here. So, you know, now I'm 54 and I've had my mom for 54 years. I had my dad for 53 years. And honestly, that is the, um, my dad passing at the age of 95 is the only uh, tragedy of that really ever affected in my life. And yes, a, a virus took him away from us. Um, and the only part of that that really upsets me is that for his last month of his life, we weren't able to be with him because he was in a, a rehab nursing facility. And so they closed them down so no one could visit. But if we had been able to be with him um, that last month of his life, I would have no complaints at all because he had 95 wonderful years. He got to see grandchildren and a great grandchild. So. Yeah, that's, and that is, you know, well, I think like looking at it that way. So there's this, my friend, Eric Weimer has these things called positive pessimism. So he'll, he'd be like, oh, my car broke down, but at least it's raining. <laughs> the positives are like, I don't really have anywhere to be. You know what I mean? It's not lightning too. I think that we get so caught up in things not going our way. And that's really what leads to bitterness and frustration and if we just take a minute to catalog that and be like, what am I really mad at? What is it really about? And listen to Little Brown Bevy. And I think discovering yourself and discovering who you were, you were um, really inspired by people who had it all and left it all. Yeah. But you met Andy Cohen. And Andy Cohen, one of the things I love in the book that you say about him is that he really, for the first time, you feel he was the first person to really see all of you. And I think that's a piece of you getting there yes, and a piece of him having the capacity to see you there. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, when I first ever heard of Andy, it was because my friend Hunter Hill, who was an advertising exec over at Paper Magazine, I think they were on Fire Island together. Um, and this is when Andy was just an executive. He was not on TV. You know, I guess they were talking and Andy was saying that they were casting the Tim Gunn show and they needed someone to be a female uh, co-host, sidekick. I told Hunter, because I told everyone, 
that I had quit Rolling Stone because I wanted to do TV and I wanted to write. So I guess Hunter remembered that and he mentioned me to Andy. I went in, I did the audition, it was on tape. And then I get a contract back the, like in two days or something. Uh, but the contract didn't work for me. And so I had to turn down the job. And then Andy and his boss at the time, this wonderful woman named Amy Intracasso Davis, pulled me in to meet with them. And I came in there colorful in my spirit and in my attire. And Andy was like, you're even better in real life than you are on tape. We're going to work together. And for seven years, Andy would call me in to do like um, some kind of a, a, you know, a, a, a presentation for a show. He would call me up to do like, you know, an audition. And I would always send him all the things that I was doing, you know. So when I started doing Dinner with Bevy and that became incredibly successful, I sent, I sent him my New York Times piece about Dinner with Bevy. You know what I mean? So he could see that I was still doing things. Because that's something else, too. A lot of folks want famous and rich and influential people to help them. But I will tell you this. People cannot help you unless you have helped yourself. So... You know, if I had just kept going back to Andy and being like, you know, give me a show. Instead, I was showing Andy that I was deserving of a show. So every time I got an opportunity to do anything on TV, and I would just always send it to Andy. And then he, um, seven years in, Andy said, I think I found the show for us to do. And it was called Fashion Queen. And I got to say, I didn't want to do the show initially. But I also realized that I needed to just do the show because I had yet to do, I, I had been doing lots of TV appearances. I had not yet been on a show on a regular basis. And I was like, he's not even asking me to audition. Go ahead and take the damn show, girl. And um, the reason why I didn't want to do the show is because I didn't, one, I didn't want to really do fashion anymore. That's the reason why I left the business. I didn't really do fashion. Sometimes you just have to bite the bullet. So I was glad that I took that job. And then when um, Fashion Queens um, went off the air, Andy got his SiriusXM job. And he called me up and he said, Bevy, you know, I've got this um, network over at SiriusXM, this channel. Um, you want to be on it? And I was like, well, Andy, as long as I have to do fashion, because I don't want to do fashion. And he said, no, no, you can do whatever you want on it. And so that's how I started doing Bevelations, the radio show. And that's been five years at this point. And then um, at the time I was with CAA and my agent had been saying, Bevy, you've got to write a book. You have such a story. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, one day she sat me down. She said, come in. You're going to talk to me about some of your best highlights of your career. And we're going to put that down. And we're going to use that as a proposal. And then literally the next week, Andy Cohen calls me and says, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, as a matter of fact, me and my agent just sat down. And we drafted like kind of a, you know, a, a, a little bit of a proposal for a book. He's like, oh my gosh, you know, I have my book imprint. Come and meet with us. And now we have Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bevy, on, um, on Andy Cohen books. I love it. Oh my gosh, I love it. So that's one of the things I just have to credit Andy. And I have a very similar experience, funny enough, with him is when I walked away when I had to leave housewives, when it just wasn't, I just never really fit in. Andy understood, you know, he didn't give me a lot of hard time, but what he did say is let's stay in touch. Like you believe in me. I believe in you. Like that's how we came together and like stay in touch. And I did exactly what you did. I kept him after I left the housewives. I kept him posted on my life. I kept him posted on the things 
that changed me about the housewives and that, you know, was a trajectory of new interest, like AKA my podcast. And we stayed in touch. And that is the truth. You can't, people that are in high places or that have connections, they cannot just plop you in a chair. You've got to do the work. And when you do do the work, and I know that you have people under your wing that you've done this to, just like Andy's done it to us. And I have people under my wing that I've done that to. I can't say that I've done that for anybody who hasn't shown up and done the work. And that really is what you have to do. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hi, I'm Sarah Riff, host of Having It All and Other Lies. I created this podcast as an opportunity to engage with people I admire about the pressure that we all feel. We'll talk about letting go of the expectation for perfection, embracing the chaos and realizing that having it all looks very different to each of us. So I wanted to sit down and speak with people I look up to and dispel the myth that anyone feels like they have it all figured out or that they're killing it in every facet of their life all of the time. Instead, we'll talk honestly about redefining what success and happiness look like to each of us, because ultimately the only definition that matters is our own. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. Your next project for page six. Tell me a little bit about that one because you did have to get back in it. Sometimes fashion won't let us go, girl. So page six TV, um, I honestly took that job because my two um, TV consigliaries, Andy Cohen and a wonderful woman, woman named Alexandra Jouette, um, both of them told me, Bevy, it's a syndicated TV show. That is a very big deal. And um, yes, I, I was hesitant to do it. I'm worried about being on a gossip show because I don't want to gossip. But I had an amazing, amazing, um, the creator of the show, Michael Weinberg, and I told him my concerns. He said, no, Bevy, we're hiring you kind of like to do color commentary. So for instance, if we're talking about Kim Kardashian being in Greece, then you can add, oh, yes, I know exactly that club that she went to. It's amazing. It's chic. Let me paint the scene for you. So I was doing more of the color commentary. You were, and you were good at it. Yeah, and so that's the way I was able to avoid the gossip. But sometimes it still got very hairy as well. I went from being Bevy Smith as in, I didn't need any affiliation to get into rooms. Bevy Smith was enough of a name to get into all these places. And then when I got page six TV, it became Bevy Smith. But you know she's at page six TV, and then people like, Oh, stranger danger. Right. So people got afraid. You know, not that many people. I was still, I still had access to the majority of places that it all, I had always had. But then there was a very, very big gala where they tried to rescind my invitation. And a very fabulous fashion brand had to get involved and say, well, no, she's our guest. But listen, you have to make choices in life. And then you have to stand true to yourself on those choices. And the invitations are not getting rescinded right now. In fact, you are getting invited to not only attend events, but host events. And we're going to talk about that in a second. 
But I want to just backtrack for a minute because um, we do make choices in our lives. And the syndicated TV show was important. When I made the choice to do The Housewives, I was at... Uh, an expert on CNN, on CNBC, on MSNBC, uh, you know, I'm a marketing executive, I'm a, a, you know, entrepreneur and a successful person and professional and made a name for myself in my career. And when I went on the housewives, those phone calls also stopped coming. And so I actually had to turn around and say, no, I'm still an expert and I want to come on and talk. And then I was like, I want to be the only housewife to be an expert on CNN. You know what I mean? And it was funny because I had this weird thing where people, I'd be on CNN and people would like put on, this is when social media first started. What is a housewife doing on CNN? Like I got turned into a housewife versus Heather Thompson, who had come up in the fashion industry as a creative director and all these things and an entrepreneur. And it did make a change, but it was so minimal compared to like taking that risk yeah. for the reward. Yeah. And, you know, and that reward is me looking at you right here today. So I'm glad you did page six and I think you were damn good at it. But you, of course, support black causes and, 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 and we're very aware of that. But supporting black filmmakers and Debbie Smith, just in case anyone hasn't heard, is the host of this year's Critic Choice Award celebration of black cinema honoring John Legend and Deloy Lindro. I cannot believe how excited I am for you about that. You know, I mean, you're going a long way from hosting the red carpet at the Vibe Awards, honey. Yes, yes. But I mean, what I have to say, hosting the Vibe Awards, red carpet was an amazing opportunity. And, and it really did help me figure out what I wanted to do. So that was awesome. But yeah, no, the hosting stuff that I get to do, the speaking engagements that I get to do, you know, in the middle of COVID, I'll never forget when um, Page Six TV got canceled, you know, I knew that I wanted to just stop down for a minute. You know, I, I was like, I never want to get into this kind of situation ever again, where I'm doing work that I just literally don't want to do. Because Stone to not have to do work that I didn't want to do, the work that didn't resonate with me. Like, okay, stop down for a minute. Do not rush out there and just try and see what next TV hosting job you can get. Because at the end of the day, I think that you may have, um, you're phasing out of that space. So when I'm doing this Critics' Choice um, for Black Cinema Celebration, that's something that really means something to me. You know, and, and that's something that um, I'm proud of and that I'm happy to be doing. You know, my work at the American Black Film Festival, you know, working with HBO on the short film contest, you know, that's something that I've been doing. That was my first ever hosting job I ever did, to stand up in front of 500 people and to do something like that. I did that, you know, six months after I left Rolling Stone. It was really amazing and heady. And I've been doing that now for 14 years. I'm yes, happy. with sparkles coming out of your eyes. Yes. I'm so good at it. Yes, thank you. But it's all of these things that I love to do. And so it's really been such a blessing to find that part of me. So that's a passion of mine. But coming up next, Heather. Lay it on me. In the book, I talk about how my production company, because I only want to do TV in front of the camera for just a few more years. It's my goal to get my own show. So one of my goals was that I want to have my production company. Well, I have a production deal with a network. 
Oh my God, this is manifestation in real time. And then exactly in real time. That's why this is so like incredible. Yes. Because you're when you read the book, you'll see the things that I'm saying that I want to do. Well, two of them have already come to fruition. The final one is I want to be an art and architecture curator. Well, over the summer, a dear friend of mine who's a film producer asked me for a couple of phone numbers. And I said, okay, sure. But why you want them? And she said, oh, we're trying to do the art for this um, film. And we're trying to build the interiors. And I was like, would you allow me to curate the art for that film? And she said, sure. The film comes out 2021. It's helmed by an Academy Award winning actor. And when you watch the film, the art that's in the house was curated by Bevy Smith. Amazing. That is incredible. You know, I really learned about art in film and cinema working for celebrities, like working for Beyonce and, you know, Black is King. Yes. The work that went into the art in those houses and like Tina Knowles was sweating and, you know, bringing and highlighting artists and all that kind of stuff. It's really so important. And I know that promoting Black artists are important to you. And so I'm expecting to see a lot of that in the film. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) No, and, it, and it, it was just great. Okay, so how do you find your freedom? So finding your freedoms is different and you have really been working hard at finding yours. So just leave my listeners with two things. How do you find your freedom and where can they find you, girl? I find my freedom through travel. Um, that is one of my greatest pursuits. I grew up with a father who told us about the world. Um, you know, geography books, Life Magazine, National Geographic, all these things were in my home. Every Sunday, we would pour over these things. My daddy would quiz us on how many oceans, what's the highest summit in the world, all kinds of things like that. And so wherever I go in the world now, my daddy comes with me. Um, And I can't wait to get to Antarctica because that's the last continent. That's the only continent that I've never been to. He he was like, always like, when you don't get to Antarctica? I was like, oh, no, daddy, it's cold. So when I go, which will be, I think that's probably going to be one of my first trips once we get out of coronavirus. I'm going to go to Antarctica. And I'm going to take some of my daddy's ashes and I'm going to sprinkle them there. Um, so that's how I find my freedom through traveling. And then you can find me on all social media platforms, Bevy Smith. And that's on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those things. And then, of course, you can find Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie, January 12th. But you can pre-order it and you can find that anywhere where books are sold. That's Amazon. That's Barnes and Nobles. That's your local bookstore. So it's all there for you. And um, Heather, you've been here for me for so many years. I love you. I'm so proud of you. This is such a great show. You do the damn thing. You're such a great interviewer. And it really warms my heart to be with you, even though it's like we're, you know, it's virtual. But I still feel the love radiating. And I hope you feel my love going out to you as well. Oh, you know, I do. I love you so much, my sweet sister. Thank you for all your teachings and your lessons and your friendship and your wonderful energy and your just beautiful heart through many, many years and hopefully many, many more years of friendship. Thank you so much for being on my show. I love you, Bebby, to death. This is in my heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to follow along at I am Heather T and send me any questions. Don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you stream your podcast and join us next week for another episode. And don't forget to go get that book. (laughs) Thank you, baby. Welcome to Hollaback. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. So Victoria asks, 
When you and your hubby disagree on big decisions, how do you work through finding a solution? I will tell you that I feel fortunate, you know, I've been married for 18 years, that most of the big decisions John and I have agreed on in life, it's the little stuff. It's the little stupid shit that we disagree with. And I can just say that if there is a big decision that you and your husband are, are, you know, having in your life and you just have two totally different perspectives on it, I do think like mediation is a good thing sometimes, like bringing in a third party who loves you, but it doesn't have to be a counselor, you know, a third party, or it could be someone that you both respect and love, bring them in and ask them for advice and ask them to see a different, you know, a different path sometimes. Sometimes bringing in a third perspective on someone that you can really trust and understand is helpful. And I think the most important thing to remember is you may not always agree on issues, but you can agree to disagree and have respect for each other and understand each other's positions. And that only comes from listening. We don't listen enough in this life. We don't listen enough to people that need to be heard. We don't listen enough to you know some of the the lessons that are out there for us to hear because we're moving so quick. So slow down, take a breath, bring in a third party if you need, and just be patient with each other and you'll work it through. At Ignavit, I'm not sure how to say that one, I-N-G-A-V-I-T, at Ingavit, and her name is Inga, she asks, what is your skin routine? Do you ever do Botox? I'm 38 and struggling with a should or shouldn't I with treatments or surgery as I see my face showing signs of age. Well, I really like this question a lot because what my skincare routine is really, I I have everything firing on all axes. So I start with how I feed my body. So I feed my body healthy, pure, clean food. I stay away from GMOs. I stay away from toxic preservatives and fillers and unnatural ingredients that do clog our systems and throw everything off kilter. And when your gut health is off kilter and not in check, it will show in your skin. It's kind of 360 degrees of work. So you want to work with what you're putting in your body because your skin is going to reflect that. So drink water, stay hydrated, get enough sleep. These things all affect our skin. Next, what we're putting on our skin. So I moved away from products with perfumes and artificial ingredients and fillers, and I use all natural products. You guys have heard me talk about Emergency on the show before. It's a skincare brand that I love. You can go to emergency.com and see their range is broad and wide. There's something for any skincare you know, problem that you may have or a journey that you're trying to uh, get to. And I also, and now at 50 years old, I'm taking supplements. So in my line, Beyond Fresh, I just made beauty berries and it's a drink and it's a pro-collagen drink and there's all kinds of innovation in there. It's an anti-aging drink. So I'm stacking the odds in my favor by taking supplements to help keep my collagen productivity healthy and working and add to the biotin that is, you know, my body needs and I'm no longer making. So as we age... We have to supplement sometimes our beauty and supplement our health with things that are going to help us keep optimizing our body and the things that God gave us. So do I ever do Botox? So yes, I do. And the, and the thing about uh, anti-aging and science. So I talked about the natural ways that we can you know fight against aging, but I absolutely look to science. And um, my favorite place in the world to go is Skinny Med Spa. It's here in New York City. 
It's a Medi Spa and I do laser treatments. I don't do a lot of Botox and fillers. I don't. I go about twice a year because I think it's preventative because my, I have a very big smile and I'm, I'm, I have a very um, animated face. And so to me, a little bit of Botox, you know, a couple times a year just helps keep my appearance youthful and stops those deep lines from finding their holes and forming. But lasers to me are really the best. You can do some beautiful laser resurfacing. There's very little downtime on certain label la lasers. There's one I'm using now called Clear and Brilliant. You can look into that laser. I do that at Skinny Med Spa. I love it. And so a little bit of everything is what's important, Igna. So keep it natural. We're supposed to age and, and show our lines and our experience. So not too much, girl. Thank you for the question. In My Heart is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson, Karen Silverstein, and Heather Thompson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Heather T. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.